This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast revisiting television, sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Outcasts, Episodes 1 and 2. We came to a planet where we weren't even sure if we'd survive the first days. And now our solar engineers have given us energy. Our scientists have provided us with food. And our expeditionary teams keep making exciting discoveries about our new home. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast coming to you via pulse signal. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? I had typed a line from this show uh, that made me laugh, and what made me laugh about it was, I think it is indicative of how TV shows, at least I assume, maybe you'll agree, maybe you won't, of how TV shows have changed a little bit. And here's the line, and, and see if you understand why I think maybe the sense of humor and what is just a throwaway line maybe wouldn't be in a TV show anymore. Here's the line. Two characters are walking in a big line of people out in the desert, and the guy goes, is it true you prefer a big bloke in the rear? <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. No, that was, uh, I, because this is, we'll get into it, but I was just like, this seems a little dated for even today, which is funny because this show's only 10 years old. <laughs> yeah, but that's what I mean. I, I feel like it's, things have changed, I think, dramatically in terms of what is assumed to be funny, you know, in the last, the last generation. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into it. It's uh, it's a new series this week, Outcasts. Mm-hmm. Outcasts. And had, let me ask you, have you ever heard of the show? Because I had not. I've never heard anything about it. This is one that struck your eye somewhere yes. along the way. What, what, what on earth, what were you looking at that you even like came across this show? I don't remember how, how I came across it. You know, there's a lot of just, you know, us Googling things and finding stuff and going down weird science fiction rabbit holes. But I saw... The cast had a lot of people that I've recognized from other shows. It seemed to be, in terms of you know a comparison of other things we've seen, it seemed to be have a pretty high production value. It's a British series, and I was like, hey, it's a little bit newer. It, maybe it was one of those that just you know snuck under the radar. Well, it, it did air on BBC One between February seventh and March thirteenth, two thousand eleven. Hmm. So just celebrated its 10th anniversary. Happy anniversary, Outcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And before we get into it, I'll get into what was happening in the world while Outcasts was on the old television. Mm, 2011. Now, were we watching another series at this time? No, we've never watched anything in this span of time. I mean, I'm mm. sure you were watching something on TV in 2011, but I don't but know Not something we've covered. Not something we've covered. But what was happening in the world was uh, the Arab Spring was happening at the time, and uh, the Egyptian president had just resigned and transferred power to the armed forces. So that would have been February 11th. And it all worked out for the better. They didn't slide back. <laughs> yeah, everything, <laughs> everything in the world is fine now. <laughs> uh, on February 22nd, Christchurch, New Zealand was hit by that uh, three, 6.3 magnitude earthquake that mm. happened. I'm sure yeah. you remember. I do remember. And then, uh, you know, two-ish, three-ish weeks later, the... Uh, Tohoku earthquake and tsunami hit Japan at a magnitude of 9.0. Yeah, is that the one that created the... Uh, massive tsunami? Yeah, massive tsunami, and then the, the nuclear problem and all that? Yeah, that's the one. Mm. It was a bad year. That was a bad year. That was terrible. I was going through, I'm like, during the period of this this like little show, just like two massive natural disasters. Yeah, yeah. 
and people were not interested in finding out what was happening in Carpathia. <laughs> well, I mean, when when you start weighing them, this you know, there's not too much uh, pulling people into the screens for this. Well, here's the IMDb summary for episode one. Carpathia awaits the arrival of a transport from Earth. A leader among the <laughs> expeditionaries wants to break away from the settlement, and a secret lays beyond the gates of Fort Haven. Yeah, I mean, that's vague, but I think it's accurate enough. There's something interesting about this show in the way it tells the story. I don't know if it's a primarily British thing, um, or if it's the time period, or it's just the style of the show, but this show really sets you in a world and doesn't do... The world building is very sparse. Like, it gives you a little bit of information. You have to sort of piece together what has happened. Uh, you know, through other shows, there's little bits of dialogue and stuff, but you're, like, thrown right into the world. Like, the setup is not introduce, introduce, introduce. It's like, here's a bunch of characters. You'll figure out what their relationships as you go. Yeah, that is certainly the case. It is very much just, like, ground running, and uh, we'll see how this sort of plays out. But it's the year 2060... Yes, 2060. Woo, we're way in the future. And you mentioned the planet is Carpathia, and there, yes. and the characters we meet are in a pioneer town, I would call it. I don't know if you'd agree, but I think it's kind of like a pioneer town called, uh, is it, it's Fort Haven, right? Yes, Fort Haven. That is absolutely correct. It is, it is, yeah, I mean, it looks a little more built up than you'd think of like an old westy town. It's a little more concrete buildings with a big old spaceship that I mm. guess is their town hall in the middle, but like very much a frontier town, though, like now, in the middle of the wilderness. Now, we talked about this when we were doing Earth 2, and we had spoken about what the potential for the second season of Earth 2 was going to be, and you had found a sort of in-house trailer teaser of potential. Didn't you, when you're watching this, feel this is very similar to what they had hoped the second season of Earth 2 would be. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, I know there's definitely some Earth 2 corollaries because it's very much like new people on a new planet. But I had forgotten about that second season of Earth 2. But you're right. Like, this is certainly would have been very much in line with, I guess, what the proposed Earth 2 might have been. I mean, a very different tone because you know, we should say this show, you know, despite that little lame joke I made at the beginning of this podcast, this is a rather self-serious show. There's not a lot of levity at all. This is a... Everyone's very serious all the time. And everyone, I I had <laughs> trouble sometimes hearing dialogue because everyone is whispering very intently and very seriously. They also have some pretty uh, pretty British accents, which I think wasn't helping the situation. That's true. There's there's like a, there's most of the characters are English. There's an, a Scottish character. There's an Irish character. So you have to really, for us with our Canadian accents and Canadian ears, you have to really, uh, really focus. I had my subtitles on. I'm not going to lie. Oh, did you? Oh, no, I just, yeah. I just, I went for it. Uh, the episode begins with the arrival of the transport ship CT-9 coming mm -hmm. to the planet of Carpathia. It's like one of these very modern spaceships I think we see more in TV and movies. That it's like I got those like it's very sleek with those spinning hula hoops around it that I guess are producing gravity or something. Yeah, we've seen. Yeah, it's funny. We've seen it a few times. The same sort of design. There's like, yeah, it's like a windmill type thing on the ship. And I was very disappointed. The name. The They're like. Our ship's called CT-9. I'm just like, what? That's the best name you could come up for a spaceship, CT-9? Well, there's a, there's a numeric system, I suppose. Well, speaking of naming, the show has some weird naming in general. Why did they call the planet Carpathia, Jordan? Oh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it is the name of the ship that rescued the survivors of the Titanic? That's correct. Mm -hmm. I thought that was pretty good. I, was, I mean... I was not expecting that. Like they, midway through, they just like have a little exposition. We're like, we named it that because of the Titanic ship, and I was just like, huh, okay. 
Yeah, but uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I if there was like a trivia question and someone had said, what was the name of the ship that picked up survivors, I wouldn't have known it was their Carpathia. No, I needed that explanation to know that too. Yeah. And like, maybe you're right, like that's kind of like a very specific reason to have named the planet that. And then you turn and the name of the town they live in is called Fort Haven, which is just like, well, you didn't put any thought into this one. <laughs> that's true. Well, they spent all the time on the planet. They're like, yeah, anyways... I don't know. It's a I haven. Mean, I, I'm going to also give you this. When we're going to find out about disease later, they also don't give the disease a very good name. They don't. It's true. Um, at any rate, the CT-9 has been flying for five years from Earth to uh, arrive at this settlement at Fort Haven. And um, I guess Fort Haven was, what, established like 13-ish years ago? Is that kind of the general timeline? They said 15 years. 15 years ago. And um, CT-9 is the only ship from its flotilla to have, like, apparently made the journey from Earth here. Apparently, it's a very hazardous flight to get to this planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what we get to see is the president of Fort Haven, Richard Tate, played by Leon Cunningham of Game of Thrones fame. Mm-hmm. Good actor. He's a good actor. And he's got he's, a real he's, he's, a, a gravitas to him. That's true. He is very much a gravitas to him. And he's asking kind of the ship's captain about how are things on Earth when you left? We haven't received a pulse signal in ages. And the captain, <laughs> I, That was funny to me. The show's very funny because, like, there are moments where you get exposition like, this is why we named the planet. But then they got, like a flat-out question like, how are things on Earth? And the captain's like, eh, you know, not great. I'm like, <laughs> what? That's it? Well, yeah, I think and, and I think there is a few lines of dialogue that imply that things on Earth, like as you said, are not going well. And I don't know if you caught it, what has happened. I don't know if it was war or famine or something. But I know that things on Earth are not going well. Well, that's the thing is he basically just answers kind of very vaguely – and the vagueness of it, I couldn't tell if the tone meant it's like an ecological disaster is happening or aliens have attacked. Like, I couldn't read. Like, his tone could have been either one. Either one of those things could have happened. No, but you're right. But, I, again, that's what I think is uh, going to be the style of this show, which is we might answer it later, but we're not going to have characters just give that info dump. That's not what this show is. This is a right, you're right. going to have to pay attention and episode four we're going to answer that for you if you stick around. I mean, I, it's an interesting strategy for sure, and I I found it particularly irritating when the cat when when the man when the president was like, "Hey, we haven't heard from Earth in years. What's happening?" The guy's like, "Ah, don't worry about it." <laughs> uh, I mean, it does sound like it's bad news, right? Yeah, it's just like, eh, you know what? It's bad news. You don't want to know." Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, the CT nine needs some time to repair before it can attempt like entry into Carpathia's atmosphere because. I, I really want to know what happened on that flight over this. It was a really tough flight, apparently. Well, yeah, I think they sort of imply just that the actual journey sort of breaks down the ship because that is what's happening. The ship may not have the structural integrity plating, yeah. Yeah, to make it into the planet's atmosphere. Yes, yes. And apparently, like, they imply over the years other transports have arrived and exploded on entry, so they should be very careful. Mm-hmm. Do they ever say how large this town is? Because I couldn't quite gauge it because it seems from the far shots like it seems, it seems to be quite large yeah it seems very large it seems like a pretty reasonable metropolis in some ways like of size wise mm-hmm. but then there are only like eight human beings who ever speak on the show so it feels <laughs> like there are about eight people on the planet so it's yeah, very yeah. confusing yeah there's a lot of people just wandering around though peasants there's a lot of background just stumbling by mm-hmm. anyway uh there's a moment because there's this whole thing with the ship goes on throughout the episode. Like basically, this is very much like modern TV, a plot, b plot that are interspersed sporadically throughout the episode. And at some point, like 
the people on the ship are so anxious to get land after five years that they they don't even want to fix the ship. They just want to die in they just want to die in the, in entry. And uh, President Tate has to give a rousing speech over the intercom where he gets a standing ovation. Yeah. So. I get that was the point, right? That they're so despondent. They're just like, what's the point? But would people feel that way after five years of traveling? I mean, can you imagine you traveled for five years? I understand you would want to get down there, but the ship's guy was like, well, we just need to repair the outside so you don't explode as we enter. And they're like, no, no time for that. Well, and there's a second point in that over the course of this episode, the next episode, we're going to find out a little bit more about the ship and the people on it and the people escaping the ship. You know, spoiler alert, the ship is not going to make it. But they have a certain amount of, let's call them escape pods. I don't know if they call it something else on this show. But the escape pods, they don't have enough for the amount of people on the ship. And yes. that seems an insane design flaw of the ship. The ship is humongous. Why would they have not designed it so there's enough people? Because you'll find out later there's not quite a lottery system, but there's certain amount of people are picked to be able to be saved. And it just seems crazy to me that you've planned a five-year mission knowing that it's very difficult to succeed and to not have the ship break down in some way. Why would you not design the ship a little better? But Well, it did, it did raise the question just like if all the ships who have come here before you break down, but the escape pods are fine, like no problem. They can do entry, no problem. Just build a lot of escape pods and then don't bring the ship with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or yeah, make the ship purposely break down the atmosphere and the escape pods just fall off. Yeah, it, it did. There's a few things like this. Like when the captain gives his speech, like you're asking, he's like, why do these people want to come down so quickly like why can't they wait like the four hours it takes to do the repairs it's because the show just like well we need to give the president a big speech at some point so yeah. uh, i guess here's where it happens and it, like it's such a forced moment well not only is it a forced moment but did it teach you anything about him that we didn't already know because i didn't feel that it's like oh he has um, as I mentioned, a gravitas to it he he's well spoken he is a rather terse i mean we already knew that well, that's the thing is they've already cast an actor who's already delivering all the elements they're trying to get across. So the speech brings you nothing further. You already like this actor brought all of that in the first five minutes of the show already. Mm-hmm. So it was just like a very weird speech that felt I was just like, I'm like, whoa, you just really wanted a speech here, huh, writer? Mm-hmm. Oh, and let me mention, and this is just an aside to everything. All the costuming is very similar to what we're wearing now. They're not wearing like space yeah. outfits or anything like the men are wearing button up uh, collared shirts, just slightly modernized. Like, you know, the fit is a little different and there's no pocket sort of thing. But other than that, it looks like it could take place right now. There's no, uh, you know, fancy laser hats. Yeah. Yeah. The tech in this is very minimal. The big future changes are actually like, it's very grounded in kind of a modern day. They're really trying to like minimize the science fiction other than the concept. Right. Also, I, not to rag on this poor president Tate all day, but, um, president you're you're the mayor come on (laughs) i thought the same thing i mean to be fair there's only one town on the planet and so i guess yes he is uh mayor president and world leader i suppose it seemed like a real overreach to me i was like (laughs) maybe slow your roll there maybe you're mayor tate (laughs) yeah at any rate all of this waiting around is done in the episode like there's a second plot line which we'll get to a little later but there's a lot of waiting around as they fix this ship up so it doesn't uh, get the chance to explode and it gives the chance for the captain and the of the of the transport and the president to like do a little bit of chatty exposition for us in this pilot episode and this is where they talk a little bit about um how the president's children have died when he arrived there because when they got there they apparently picked up a disease that they called C23. Yeah, that's what I mentioned. It's 
it, it to be fair it does sound like a scientific uh labeling of something of a disease i suppose but but it doesn't doesn't give you anything like fun um you know no and it's really funny too because you know usually that's where you bring in a little like spice to it and i don't know if you caught did you catch the only visible symptom of a child who catches c23 no it seems no. like that symptom was enough for you to come up with a better name for it. what was the symptom the only symptom of a kid would show before getting c23 before getting c23 was that they would suddenly have a glimmering halo appear around their heads. Oh, I don't remember that at all. It's probably because they whispered it. Yeah, and I was just like, oh, so the children get a glowing halo around their heads, and C23 is the best name you could come up with. So what do you think? Halo's disease? Angel disease. Angel disease. Angel dust. Angel dust. Oh, yeah, perfect. Did it. (laughs) The kid got dusted. Can we call C23 angel dust? Yeah, yeah, we'll call it, we'll come up with a bunch of like little acronyms. Angel dust. Mm-hmm. They dusted that kid, etc. Yeah. No, but now is it only children that die from the disease because that's what it made it sound like, but he also mentions so he uh President Tate or Mayor Tate as you like to call him had both children die from uh angel dust, but did his wife also die from that or is that just she died from a broken heart? She died of a uh, suicide later. Ah, uh, okay. Yes, that was. Uh, he didn't explicitly say that, but that was the implications. So after the death of his two children, she did not. She did not take it well. Right. At any rate, the captain asks. He's like, "Oh wow, all the kids died of a terrible disease. How'd you guys end up curing that?" And the president's like, "Uh, um, uh, uh quarantines and stuff." Yeah. Yeah. Like, he he didn't answer the question at like he, like if I was the captain, I'd be like, "Wait, wait, wait." Are all the kids I'm about to land on this planet about to die? Like, you did not answer my question of how you cured that disease. Yeah, and this is the beginning of um, what will, seems like it will be a bit of a serialized story through uh, this show, because it comes up again in the second episode. Not only what do they do about this disease, but also that there might be a issue with birth rate. And again, very similar to Earth 2 about uh, children who have um, yeah, uh, yeah. dying Yeah, yeah. Populating children. a world. Yeah. When the repairs are finally complete, CT9 does finally attempt its re-entry. And it's, it, it, they're like, we're flying over the new Pacific Zone and Upper Caledonia. And I was like, <laughs> these names, I love it. <laughs> Why don't we get to see these places? Why did you name these things but not like viruses? I don't understand. Well, I'm assuming also it's just regions because as far as we know, that's the only established town or city or yes. metropolis or whatever. So that means they've just named parts of the world so that... You know. Yeah, they're just pointed and they're like, I don't know, Upper Caledonia, I guess. Yeah. It's like, is there a Lower Caledonia? Nope. No. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, we haven't found that yet. <laughs> At any rate, of course, the uh, the ship is, of course, fatally damaged and starts exploding midair, as you'd expect, because, mm-hmm. like, that's the setup. As soon as you met that captain on the view screen, and so funny, you meet the captain on the view screen, but you literally don't see another person of the, like, theoretically that's thousands right. of people on the ship. As soon as you saw him, though, you're like, well, he's dead. Yeah, he just had that He had that face of someone who was already defeated. You're like, oh, this is not going to go well. It's like, this guy clearly was only hired for the day. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is when they eject the uh, six emergency sub shuttles to uh, save some of the people on the ship. And you get that, like, unearned in this show. Very unearned, but classic cliched moment where the captain's just like going down with the ship and he looks out and he's like, he sees Carpathia the first time. He's just like, it's so beautiful. And then his ship explodes. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, am I supposed to feel something for this man? Cause you didn't help me do that. You're, you're right. The problem with it is it's not earned because it's a lot to ask 
of the viewer in a first episode because we're just learning who these characters are. We're just establishing this world. Yeah. We're just trying to get ourselves situated. And they're like, hey, you should feel bad for this guy. And it's like, uh, okay. I've got eight other characters you introduced me to, but I'm supposed to like really focus my attention on a day player that you clearly set up as a day player. <laughs> yeah, it's like this guy's going to die, but I haven't even learned the other characters' names yet. <laughs> it's true. Um Although I did like, it's like this is in the like secondary plot that's happening. As the ship's like exploding over the atmosphere, we cut away and there's like another. There's a totally separate plot happening with the other characters, and those characters look up at the sky and like see the ship exploding, and they're they're fairly disinterested in what they see. Yeah, so it is odd, right? Because what you really should be understanding is that you have a community that made it that got through, apparently quite a few obstacles to get there everyone else who has tried to get to this planet has not made it so they are surviving at best um, with the supplies and whatever they've been doing farming or agriculture and everyone else who has tried to come has not made it so they've had to go through this horror time and time again and their real hope is these people arriving and the ship explodes again and no one seems that upset about it I think it's an issue the show has, and I don't know what it is exactly, but everyone's emotions are as muted as it is. Like, cause they're like, this is a very serious, grim show. But as a result, they've muted everyone's emotions so significantly that, like, they are, like, I had to go, I went back and rewatched it because I was pulling clips, and I realized the characters as they watch the ship explode in space are saying, oh no, those poor souls. But I'm like, I, there's no, like, I honestly thought the first time I watched it, he said, hey, what's that? And I was just like, right. how could you not know what that is? Yeah, well, I mean, and, and it's a, a pretty good visual, actually. It l- sort of looks a little bit... Oh, um, absolutely. Like like a large firework, or a, like you can see the explosion. It sort of had um, uh, little trailers, uh, streams come out of it, um, and you can see everything kind of blowing up. And it looks really... Either, you know, the special effects are good on this show, and they've clearly put some money into that. Um, but yes, it's funny that the reaction is just like, huh? Like, we get more time with this child um, who is going to be... I'm sure we're going to talk about the, the B-plot... Um, this child who just keeps like looking at the sky and giving poetry. I'm like, okay. Yeah, I mean, well, let's get into it. That's the, that's the other plot of the episode, sort of the B plot, not the outside of the exploding spaceship, is uh, one of the expeditionaries, a, a character named Mitchell Hoban, played by Battlestar Galactica actor J- Jamie ba- Bamber, I believe. Mm-hmm. Oh, and let me mention, uh, as you mentioned, the expeditionaries are XPs. So for anyone listening, there's something that seems to be uh, a little bit, it, it's not really explained in this, but you have what is called a protection and security team, or PAS, I think, P-A-S. I don't know how yeah, they the pronounce Yeah, the cops. It. Yeah, so they're sort of cops, and uh, uh, for all intents and purposes, sort of, you know, making sure everything's fine in this community. But you have these other people called expeditionaries, expeditionaries, or XPs, and is their job, they're sort of more like the military, and they're going out and surveying things? I Because there seems to be a bit of a power struggle between these two let's say armed militias of sorts and they seem to maybe have different ways of dealing with things or they don't know who's really in charge did i get that wrong uh no you're not off exactly yeah the expeditionaries seem to basically have been a group of people who go out into the wilderness like it seems that like 99 percent of the population stays in fort haven and only the expeditionaries are allowed to leave the fence to go wander around and like find useful items that might help the the community and this is part of the plot of this episode is at some point they were like, you know, very celebrated Ex- expeditionaries were like people would gather at the fence and cheer for them when they got home. Like it was, they were like a, they were a very, um, you know, they were they were the big deal in town. As the years have gone on, people are just like, just like they're just doing their job and people are just like not as interested. Yeah. And this guy that we're going to learn, uh, uh, Mitchell or uh, Mitchell Hoban, 
is his name. He comes back on what looks like a solo mission. He's very dirty, and he looks like he's been gone for a while. Um, We're going to find out he has a wife and kid who were at Fort Haven while he was gone. And he seems, I would say, disgruntled at best and maybe slightly unhinged. Like, he seems like either this is how he was before or his time in the wilderness, uh, we shall say, was not uh, great for his mental health. Yeah, it's it's there's a question here because what we're going to find out about him is he basically has a plan that he's been cooking up with these expeditionaries basically to break away from Fort Haven and start a new settlement. Mm-hmm. And the show weirdly doesn't lean into the concept that there's like a political rift where people want like which makes sense to me like I'm just like I don't understand why they all have to live in Fort Haven. That doesn't make like why did you move all the way to this planet and why aren't don't why don't you have settlers out there? That doesn't well, make sense they, to me. I think it's implied uh and maybe this is just me reading into it. I think it's implied that for protection, they all stay in this one area. That's why these are the only people that go out because perhaps the elements are too severe or too extreme for people. Because, yes, you're right. You would assume more communities would be set up. But maybe it's as simple as the infrastructure can only, you know, run electricity or whatever it might be for so far or who, who knows what it is. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say. Like, it seems it's just like, I guess for Michael Hoban, because he gets back and they're like... The, the the president's outlawed weapons in the city and he's just like ah, fine i have to leave my weapon a lot like i have to leave my weapon in a lockup like he's annoyed with all this stuff he seems to want to be able to break away and have a little more freedom to like build a farm or do, he's an expeditioner he goes out there he sees what it's like out mm-hmm. there but then they add this other layer where he finds his own mental health report and it says he has multiple personality disorder so i guess the real problem is he's like severely mentally ill Yes, you're right. I know what you're 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 driving at is that there is an interesting idea here of just the inherent political factions that can develop in such a, a high stress situation. But they want to make you sure you know right away he's going to be the bad guy. Is what it is. Not that there's actually two views that might have some merit in them. Because like he he seems like here's the thing. He's a he's a good actor. He's an attractive actor. He's, uh, his character seems kind of cool and stuff. So you're like, oh, maybe this will be a guy to root for. But then immediately he, like, while having a conversation with his wife, he, like, grabs her by the throat and stuff. And he's, like, very aggressive and and, uh, yeah. and violent. And you're like, oh, no, he's he's a bad guy. So all his views are wrong. Yeah. Well, and even when he goes to talk to the expeditionaries about, like, he's going to move up the plan. They're going to break away from the settlement sooner. Which this is also something that was, like, a little too much for me. But, like, there's, you know, an expeditionary force, a whole group of individuals who, like, work this job. There is only one of those individuals, Jack, who is allowed to deliver lines. So, like, he has to speak for, like, what is, like, I guess the entire organization in this show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it is the problem you kind of mentioned that they already do have a lot of characters. So they each have to have, you know, there's only a, a finite amount of time they can all have a conversation. But it does sometimes hurt the scope of what the world is supposed to be because they don't even have a character have any line. It's just like, hey, there's a pack of 20 guys. What do they think? Uh, let's hear what Jack says. Jack Holt will answer for them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At any rate, he he also is just like, hey, let's not do it. Uh, you, you, We're not ready to move out yet. And uh, so he does also mention to Jack, or Jack mentions to uh, Mitchell as they're having this conversation about whether they should leave or not. He's like, oh, FYI, uh, your wife has been spying on you for the president. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which is true. Which is true. And so what happens is uh, they, a, a dust storm hits the capital of, of Fort Haven, a whiteout, if you will, I believe mm-hmm. they call it. Mm-hmm. And this whiteout, it's basically, it is just like a dust storm. It looks like from like, you know, the 1930s or something blows in. And his wife is, I guess, one of the protection and security officers, a police officer who's who's trying to break up a drug deal that's going on. And as the, as the storm blows in, 
she's lost in the in the haze of the storm and uh, it's supposed to be a mystery but like i immediately recognized it was her husband doing this but her husband shows up and beats her into a coma yeah he and it's it's a pretty violent scene because it's uh, so yeah there's a dust storm i mean it, i thought it was filmed pretty well but yes everyone knows it's the husband she's uh in the dust and he's like i think it's a brick or something he's hitting her with some piece of rubble over and over and her partner who we haven't mentioned yet her partner is named um, Fleur. Uh, Fleur, yes. Uh, Fleur, what's her last name? Fleur Morgan. She sort of runs to her and gets to her, but uh, the attacker, who we know as the husband, has gotten away. And this now character, who I can't remember the the wife's name. Uh, it doesn't really matter because she's going to be in a coma the whole time, but she is now in a coma. Yeah, she's now in a coma. Her her son is his only, only parent now is his multiple personality father, Mitchell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is basically where it becomes like, the protection and service force joins in because they're like, we have to investigate who beat up this officer, which is, you know, fine. But we as an audience already kind of have a pretty good idea. But we get into the investigation where we're going to meet more characters, basically. And um, it's like we get to meet the head of the protection and security force, uh, a character named Stella Isson, who um, unfortunately, this is where it kind of correlates to Earth 2 a little too much, is like she kind of is supposed to be the leader of yeah. the police force. I know what you're going to say. only interest is her husband and her daughter who are maybe on earth or maybe on their way here. It's all she talks about. She ignores her job perpetually to talk about it. And you're just like, you've created a character who's the head of the security force, but you have her only interested in one thing. And it is like being a mom. And and you're not even exaggerating. I noticed it probably the third scene with her. And, and I understand what they're trying to do. They are trying to show that normally she is very focused. She's very driven. She's very good at her job, but because the possibility of her husband and daughter coming back is kind of throw her emotions out. But it does sort of become this annoying trope for a female character that they can only care about their family. And it's quite literally every single scene. She's yeah. either asking about her kid or talking about her kid or unable to do her job because of her kid or, you know, being inappropriate and asking someone about her kid. And it's and, and we should mention she left, I think, when the kid was five or so yes and the kid or, yeah and, and now the kid's 18 or something like that yeah so they haven't, she hasn't seen this daughter in a long time spoiler alert she will be on that ship with the husband actually i think be. the daughter was three i think she daughter was three when she left and now it's been 15 years so that that that, that right, math right, that right. does up <laughs> we also get to meet the kind of the which is a, just part of the issue of the show is that like that's the head of security so we you need police who work for her so she has a whole police force, but we only like two of that. We're only ever going to meet two of them. Two of them are her lead investigators who handle all possible cases. Yeah, and that is the uh, the aforementioned Fleur Morgan. Yeah, and Cass Cromwell, and Cass Cromwell, who is a weird character. Like I think the actor, I really like the actor playing him. He's very watchable. I was just like, this guy's like the one giving a star tor- turn in this show. Mm-hmm. However, he is playing a character that we've seen since like probably tech war in which he is like he's a homophobic misogynist but you know the fun kind <laughs> i don't know do, do you think that's what he is well he made the homophobic joke about taking a man in the butt yeah. which was like i'm like what and then he constantly is talking like he anytime he's with floor they have an argument about the roles of men and women and his like and he, he's like, men need to run things in this town. It's just like, like, what am I like? The actors do like, and it, we've seen it before. Like, an actor can really bring something to the role, but it's just like, it's such a thankless role of just like, th- if, if you had a worse actor, this would be a ve- this would be a villain. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. But but they do sort of. Um, what you're gonna learn is that 
after I can't remember her name is, uh, she's in a coma. They sort of uh, Fleur and Cass sort of get thrown together as like the sort of new partner team. Yeah, yeah, they've got to solve this crime. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I'm sad because I don't think we'll ever see it again. But when we're in dirt, when we're introduced to Cass Cromwell, he's uh, walking a pig on a leash. And That's I was right. Like, yeah, he's, I he's, hope this is his character. Trick. Well, it's it's the reason it's there is because um, it's hinting at uh, another thing that I think will be a serialized element, which is cloning. And he mentions that it's a cloned uh, livestock, and that's something that they should be doing because of uh, the limitations they have in uh, Fort Haven. Yeah, yeah. They, he had, he'd confiscated this illegal clone of a pig because people were making it for pig. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, uh, they bring in that drug dealer who was there who uh, when when Floor was be- or uh, when the wife was beat up um, in the in the whiteout. They bring him in and they they're asking him questions and like, did you do it? Did you beat her up? And he consents to having a quote deep brain scan or DBV to yeah, prove DBV. he didn't do it. They say DBV a lot, and what it is is Stella is able to read the brain waves in some in some sense i don't exactly know how it works maybe you can explain it but what it looks like is two sort of large metal blocks that go on your ears sort of like a vice of sorts and then it's like shooting lasers into your head and i guess yeah, like reading your mind your brain yeah and then it visualizes your memories i guess is what it's supposed to do yeah so it's some sort of uh investigative tool i don't really know how it works and it almost seems like it's too powerful because it seems like you can solve any crime with it but uh they're gonna go back to it several times in the next two episodes. yeah it's it's a funny idea and like it reminded me a little bit of uh what was that uh one in seattle where the guy could change things with his brain and the guy kept like building things to like scan his head what was this that tv movie we watched where uh the guy could ch- like you know every anytime he had a dream it changed the world Oh yeah, the uh, the Ursula Le Guin one. Yeah, yeah, it kind of like that. It kind of had that flavor to mm, it. Yes, it did. But it like as a police investigative tool, as everyone knows, ma- memory is so fallible. Like it's it's not actually that helpful. Like mm-hmm. it's okay, but like the, they're using it as like a tr- like a lie detector test. Like we're gonna put you in here and look at your memories, and that'll tell us the truth. You're right. They're using it as the smoking gun. But you're right. Memories uh, are infallible and. Uh, maybe not the greatest tool but they they use it sort of as a it seems like it's a last resort is what she's sort because of, it seems like no one wants to do it and yeah you uh, have to get consent you can't just do it to somebody that's right that's right but stella who runs it the head of the head of protection services she's the one who runs the machine she also uses it in her off hours to remember the time she went to the opera with her husband when she was pregnant <laughs> <laughs> It's true that this, you know, it's so funny. We've watched so many of these science fiction shows. So you start seeing tropes or similarities or themes that you see over and over. And this reminded me a lot of Sleepwalkers, of um, the guy going into his sleep device to constantly remember his wife in the dreamscape. That's what this felt like to me is that Stella's going into her own dreamscape to remember her husband. I was like, of course, that's her character. Well, and I'm like, does that, ele- like, I mean, it must, I guess the implication is it must elevate the emotions you feel when you have that memory, but I'm just like, you're just, like, you'd be able to remember it without the machine, I don't understand. Yeah, and I think, I think what they're implying is not so much that you're remembering, but I think you, almost like a virtual reality, you are experiencing it once again, right, right, so right. I think that's what they're implying. They don't come out and say it, but I, that's what I was led to believe. Well, I mean, and this is nitpicky, as always, but, um... One of my favorite things is every time they show you the visualization on the screen of what the person's remembering, it's from the third person. The person doesn't, like, remember it from their own (laughs) point of view. They remember it from the third person. That is funny. And also, I guess also when you use it, it, because what happens is Stella will go use it on herself to remember this opera night. 
And then when she gets finished with it, she's, I guess, in the mood. So she goes to the bar and goes and has sex with that drug dealer. Is that what she does? Yeah, she, like, leaves. She do- We see her do that thing, and then we see her go to the bar, and she bumps into that drug dealer at the bar. Yeah, the Irish She's guy. like, you want to get out of here? And he's just like, okay. Yeah, I well, like, I didn't. Know, I didn't know if that's what it was. I, I had assumed there was some sort of past relationship. I didn't know it was still going on, but maybe you're right. Well, it's because later he'll come by. I think in, in another in, in an episode later he'll come by and be like, "Hey, I, he's like, you haven't called me since I that first time last night." Like I'm just like, so that oh. was. I, it was very weird. I was just like, all right, whatever. Like her whole character is like, I'm I miss my family, mm-hmm. and so I'm lonely. So I went and went to the bar to pick up the drug deal. I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. We don't get a lot of internal insight into a lot of these characters, so it's tough to know what's driving them to make these choices. And, and, and I'll admit, I probably missed 10 to 15% of dialogue because everyone is speaking like this at all times. <laughs> I'm very upset about this thing. Anyway, uh, th- this cast and floor, the, the cops, they go wandering around trying to find Mitchell and like just like endlessly discussing how Mitchell's such a pillar of the community and everybody loves him. He's a hero it's, of it's, sorts. And it's a problem the show has. Like, it's the same thing with Stella. Is like, everyone stands around telling you how good they are, what a great character they are. You you love them. But all we ever see them do is the opposite of that. So you're like, we're all we get is tell. We get zero show. Well, I think you're supposed to understand that it's been established that Mitchell was one way and now he's acting another way and something has happened. However, they just mentioned that he had multiple personalities. Isn't that what they said? Yeah. So that that would have manifested itself previously. And it's something they do. It's a way to like shorthand like, oh, this person's too important. We can't just like drag him into the police station. But I'm just like, yeah, well, he beat his wife to death. So I think you can. Uh, But they're like, no, no. But everyone in this city, all eight people of us, we'd be so mad if we did. I'm like, (laughs) would they? I can't tell. And we have to make it clear again. This show, there's doesn't seem to be like a huge um, rush or momentum to kind of to get him. It's like, well, we're going to find him. But it's like he's brutally possibly murdered someone like he's a dangerous person you should get him right away and they're like all right i guess we'll get on it put on the back well, there's only two cops so we can only send two of them to go That's looking true. for him the rest of them have to That's go true. sit in the office yeah and of course mitchell while they're looking for him corners the president in the middle of i guess city hall and like pulls a gun like i'm just like there's no one protecting the president yeah he like grabs um uh, mitchell grabs uh what's the president's name uh richard Tate. Tate. He grabs Tate and sort of pins him against a wall, and you kind of have him, he's like, you're a traitor, and they give some sort of implication they, well, they, that he betrayed him of some sort. Well, and they tease, they're like, you told me to execute those people, but I just, I didn't do it, they're still out there in the wild, and you're like, oh, mystery. And yeah. Because like, the thing is, too, it's just like, I get the idea of teasing things out, but I think the show teases too much. I'm just like, you can tell us, just tell us who these people are. Like, I don't need you to be like, Oh, there's somebody out there that we were gonna execute, but we didn't. Who are they? I'm like, just, just say it. Uh, like, it I don't want to tune in next It didn't bother me. It didn't bother me as much as it bothered you. I, I was kind of fine with them. The, the style of that. It didn't. Yeah, it didn't. It wasn't it was like too much of it for me. Do you think it so? was too much like minor teasing of like a conflict, but not like committing to what that conflict was. See, for me, it wasn't that the, the teasing was an issue. What it was for me was that when you do finally see these people, or whatever, it's not that much of a payoff. Yeah, well, that's why why tease such a minor payoff. Yeah, there was no no payoff to have. Anyway, Mitchell runs away from the president, shoots some dude on his way out, kidnaps his son, and then runs off into the wilderness. And the the cops failed to catch him in the city. 
Yeah, so, and what you're going to get is, like, a series of scenes of um, him being sort of sweet with his co- with his son and sort of being a little bit creepy and domineering. Remember the one time he thinks about murdering him. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's like, he sort of vacillates between the two. Um, and, uh, but it's, like, what's odd to me is that he seemed to have previously has sort of, like, had plans of what this community is going to be like and where they're going to live yeah, and stuff. Yeah. But then when he takes his kid, it's just like they're wandering around. I'm like, did you not plan a place to go or something better? Like, it just seems like... He, like, he, builds a lean-to and they're, like, sleeping here. Yeah, and I, that's why I was like, you just were out forever planning this new community. Did you not find somewhere to go? Like, it just seemed like they were randomly yeah, it walking didn't around. Make, like, wouldn't you have... If you're out there all the time and you're planning this eventual breakaway, wouldn't you have built a cabin already? Yeah, or something. But anyways, they it's more like, yeah, like a lean-to or uh, um, something that's going to fall over in a couple days. Yeah, anyways. yeah, yeah. And his son can't believe it. He's seeing a lake for the first time. Mm-hmm. Which is weird that they've never even left, like, for a day That's trip. what's so weird. It's like such a police state, it feels like, back and forth. <laughs> well, but you know what? You're you're not wrong because there's something interesting there that maybe this show's going to lean into. Maybe it's not. Is that we're supposed to like Tate for some reason just because but maybe he is being very militaristic or very autocratic and he's running things with an iron fist we do find that uh mitchell doesn't like that guns have been taken into the town whatever you feel about that but there is a sort of top-down uh, administration here that this show doesn't really or at least hasn't talked about yet the sort of ideas of yeah maybe this is a bit of a militaristic state yeah you like, can't even leave fort haven have a picnic come on <laughs> At any rate, uh, Cass and Floor, of course, get permission to leave the city for the first time ever to go, like, track down Mitchell. And, like, they they camp out one night, and there's a real, like, oh, is Cass in love with Floor? I don't care. Yeah, I mean, they're going to play with that a little bit. And I think really what it is is, hey, she's really pretty, right? And you're like, yep, she is really pretty. Mm-hmm. So you would be interested in her. And why? Because she's very pretty. Yes, exactly. And, like, at night, like, those exiles, maybe those exiles who weren't executed, maybe they come and pull them out of their tent at night. Maybe not. They just run away. That was a weird seed that you could take out of the episode and it wouldn't change anything. Because what you have is, yeah, uh, uh, Fleur and Cass are both sleeping in a tent. And at some point, I guess they get sort of attacked, but not really. Like, someone grabs their legs and pulls them out of the tent. By the time they sort of gather themselves and grab their laser gun things or i guess they're actually just guns when they grab them orange yeah the the people are gone and and there's no real repercussions or effect of this happening it's just like oh yeah that happened and they're like well i guess we better go back to sleep but be wary but be wary anyway the next day they they go get down to the lake they find mitchell there mitchell's like yeah because he's only like two minutes from town yeah, yeah. You can't you can't trust the president. And Flora's like, okay. And then she shoots him in the chest. Yeah, they have that sort of standoff. He's very angry. He holds the gun on her. And and what we're supposed to believe, or um, as a viewer, is that this was a very hard decision for Floor. She's not a violent person. She's not someone who wants to use force. But when push comes to shove, she will... She is that person. I think that's what we're supposed to have learned from this scene, that, that there's more yeah. to her than what you just have seen, which is, she's pretty. Yeah, and 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 I guess it is also the show because Cass won't do it because he because to him Mitchell's such a hero he would never shoot him so Mitchell's like maybe compromised or potentially has some fear of violence. Yeah, but you're right. I don't think they did enough to establish who Mitchell is or how people feel about him for that to uh, land very well. Yeah, and they they rescue the kid and they bring him back to town and you come to realize just like Mitchell's not a main character. He's dead. The wife who we spent so much time caring about 
uh, is also dead, apparently. Well, I'm, I'm going to give this to the show, though. I was surprised. I didn't look. If you look now on IMDb or whatever, you see that he's only in one episode. I was like, oh, that makes sense. But at the time, I didn't think he was going to get killed well, right away. It's because he's from Battlestar Galactica. He seems like he's going to be a lead character. Like, you're like, oh, this guy. I, mm-hmm. I love him on Battlestar Galactica. And then, like, it is kind of that turn of just like, oh, no, he's just going to be the he's going to kick us off as a villain. Yeah. And I thought it was pretty good. And I thought he was used well. So I'll give that to the show. Fair enough. And uh, the show kind of ends on a bit of a cliffhanger um, as uh, we're sort of seeing the, like, escape pods crashing down to the earth. They introduce uh, the final character who we haven't had a chance, the final regular character we haven't had a chance Julius. to meet. Julius Berger. Um, and they're, they're constantly saying how he, not constantly, but they do mention how he worked on the earth evacuation program. So that's what we need to worry about. And, you know, obviously we both have a little bit slightly different feelings, but I felt like the last line of the show about Julius Berger was an excellent example was was that something that was like i'm like this is where i think my problem is with the show mm. is stella and the president are talking about julius Berger, how he's coming down to the planet now and and i don't have the lines exactly but it essentially is like they're talking about his arrival and the president says what do you think this means for us and stella says i don't know <laughs> yeah. i was like oh great i'm so excited to find out what you don't know the the show for better or worse and i think probably i'm on one end or we're, we're somewhere on you know the center we're both on maybe a slight opposite ends of it the show loves playing in vagueness and um uh, uh uncertainty and yeah. perhaps perhaps to his detriment perhaps to it being maybe a little bit too subtle it's definitely what they're going for. So whether you like it or not might depend on you as a viewer, but that is what this show is. And I'm only going to assume that that's what it's going to be for the next, I don't know how many episodes, eight episodes, I think it is. You have to just wait, just wait and we'll explain it. But I'm going to mention one odd thing. This might just be me, but um, Julius Berger and Mitchell Hoban, the two characters, uh, the one who just died, Mitchell, are played by Jamie Bamber and Eric uh, Mabius or Mobius. They look so similar to me. They have, they're like, (laughs) are both just sort of, uh, for lack of a better word, sort of generically handsome white men with brown hair that is the same haircut. And it just like, when they started showing Eric, uh, uh, sorry, Julius, I was like, is, is, who is that? Isn't that him? Well, didn't he just die? I'm like, oh no, it's a different person. They just look exactly the same to me. <laughs> we can't have two of them in the show. So one got to be for the first episode, and then now Julius gets to enter. <laughs> Give him an eye patch. Give him something. <laughs> All right, let's keep going. Here's the IMDb summary for episode two. Our birth rate has plummeted in the last year. It's still falling. Women are not becoming pregnant and we need to do something. And yet the ACs have started to reproduce. This baby could be the key to our future. Reproduction. That's all it comes down to in the end endlessly copying ourselves. Cass, Floor, and Jack search for survivors from the transport. A young woman is taken hostage. Meanwhile, Stella and Tate are confronted by an old foe. Yeah, that's. I think that's pretty much. I think that's a better uh, synopsis than the, than the first one. Um, but what we you do really learn in the second episode is this is a heavily, heavily serialized show. And it's interesting after some of the other shows we've watched, if you are listening to this podcast in order, we just got off Auto Man, which, you know, different time period for a show, completely different storytelling element that had almost no serialization as TV did. But it is interesting to see the comparison of different generations and different decades of TV. And this show is like 
you'll get episode uh you'll get the answers in episode seven just hang tight yeah it, it very much whiplash in the storytelling techniques for sure like mm-hmm. we're we're could, two shows could not be more disparate than mm-hmm. auto man in the show yeah but it does start and i'm assuming every episode will start with this uh, with a recap because it's like you as a viewer are not gonna be able to remember everything that just happened so we'll just tell you again let, let us catch you up um, but the actual episode begins with one of the escape pods landing in the desert, and uh, we find out that s- somehow, and I cannot tell you how this makes any sense, but of all six escape pods that landed, they only can't find one of them. <laughs> yeah, and again, I think this is another plot from Earth 2. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they had the same sort of thing, that there's somehow during the explosion, the pods were sent in such vast distances that they're hard to find. They don't have some sort of tracking devices of some sorts, but they've been able to find all of them except one. I'm like, it couldn't have gone that much further well, than all. I the rest would say of them. Earth Two is better at this because for Earth Two, they're like there are there's pods scattered everywhere, so we're gonna mm. like come across them as we go. And this show is just, like they just announced they're like we've already rescued all five pods except for one. I'm just like that you guys don't leave Fort Haven. You have like seven expedition areas. There's zero chance that happened. Well, the you know the reason what we're gonna find is uh. The reason they've done this is because, of course, Stella's daughter is going to be the one that's missing. And that's not ruining a surprise because the show does not do a great job of that because clearly it's got to be her because there was nothing else for Stella to do or talk about. So if there's a single girl on the ship, it has to be her. The only survivor of this one pod, Lily, gets off the ship and you're like, well, that's her daughter. (laughs) I mean, there would have been something interesting and maybe it would have been a very unsatisfying uh, ending to her storyline. But if Lily didn't make it and all this time she was worrying about it, then Lily died. And it's like, well, what do I talk about now? Now, maybe that doesn't make for the most entertaining television, but it would have at least uh, not been so obvious. Wishy gets off the pod. She finds most of the people are already dead. And I, I maybe they're all dead. There's some indication that some of them were like killed later. But uh, basically a group of people appears out of the desert to essentially kidnap her. And these are the, uh, I'm going to see if I can get this right, the altered cultivars. Yeah, ACs. I just referred to them as marauders in my notes, but they're the ACs. The ACs. And I guess these are genetically altered humans who were designed and sent to planets ahead of time to test them for survivability for the Rego humans to see if they would make it if they got there. Yeah, and there's implication that, again, shades of other shows we've seen, um, like, um, uh, what was that show that went on forever that we watched? We watched, like, 65 episodes of it. Space Above and Beyond. That's one. Space Above and Beyond. Um, of the one character, the tanks, I believe they were called. Yes. There's something very similar. This, and then again, like Earth 2, uh, those uh, weird Borg-like uh, Universal Soldier characters. Well, that was very funny. I'm just like, this is, this part is just like Earth 2. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I'm not suggesting that they're cribbing from each other. I think it's just that sort of uh, cultural osmosis, regardless of the country, that there's just certain things that are going to show up in these sort of uh these types of shows there's just yeah there's beats are gonna hit and uh there's there's also an implication in this episode that maybe president tate was a geneticist and perhaps he was involved in this project it's un it's not entirely clear but he there's some indication he was involved in genetics back on earth luke are you suggesting this show only hinted at something it didn't come out and tell you <laughs> Can you believe it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they do have they they have uh, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but when we uh, eventually do meet Julius, he's going to have this vaguely tense conversation with Tate, as a lot of the people have. There's a lot of tense situations, but you don't know why they are tense. You're just sort of assume that because they're tense, they're important conversations. And he will mention sort of offhandedly that he's surprised that Tate is now president 
because he was yeah a geneticist of some sort before that's his yeah. background so that's why it's surprising to him and that's really all we get is that's that yeah, yeah. that and one I'm line reading of into the rest of it <laughs> yeah and what we also kind of learned throughout the episode is these these ACs they apparently lived with the settlers for a while when they arrived that seemed to be the case like settlers arrived they met up with the ACs who were there before them and um, when all the children started dying of C23 the community decided that it was the AC's fault that the children were getting sick. Mm-hmm. So the president ordered them executed. Yes. And this is the first sort of instance we're going to get that Tate might be a bit of a dictator. You know, one argument or another argument. He's just very uh, decisive. <laughs> but, yeah, but a little too decisive. Yeah, maybe a little too decisive. But yes, uh, they don't. Again, this show, I think this will be a running theme for us having the conversation, is that this show doesn't want to tell you too much. So they don't explain why people felt that way. There seems to be some sort of connection or believed connection between these genetically modified people and what is happening to the people who get the old angel dust. Angel dust. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so this is where Mitchell walked them out into the desert to kill them, decided not to execute them, and they've been living out there ever since, uh, un- unknown to the rest of the population. But I have Although- to say, Luke, that is a extreme... Uh, response would you not say hey. like i mean let's say you're in the uh, you know we're in this scenario and and you do think that there is a contagious disease or what might have you you can isolate you can test you can uh i'm sure there's a myriad of things you can do other than execute them immediately well and later when presentate finds out they're still out there he's just like oh wow like i guess we should like maybe reach out to them or something because like it turned out they weren't responsible at all i'm like excuse me <laughs> yeah and and we're gonna have uh again jumping ahead nearing the end of the episode he's going to actually have a conversation with these people and there's at one point he's like yeah well i guess i should have a conversation with them and like see how they're feeling it's like i don't think they're feeling good about it like but he seems almost i don't know if it's supposed to be a character flaw or if it's just maybe perhaps not the sharpest writing but he seems incredibly naive about the response to his action yeah, he really is leaning into it. It's just like, it was what seemed right at the time, so I had to do it. But I'm also just like, but it clearly didn't cure the problem. And no one seems to be carrying any guilt in this town that they executed an entire group of people to, like, mm-hmm. cure a disease that didn't work. Yeah, and also, as you mentioned, I think, earlier, <laughs> everyone is very muted and sort yeah. of sedate. So his response, they're like, all those people are still alive out there. He's like, interesting. Hmm. <laughs> it's like oh wow if i had if i had ordered like 40 people to death and they're not put together i'd be like oh spaghetti <laughs> and i also want to note so we meet these exiles out there living in the desert these acs there's no discernible settlement where are they living <laughs> no for what they are implying is they don't have anything except the clothes on their back and they are living in caves that's what's implied because i don't even think did we even see a tent maybe no yeah, so though because we're gonna see later, they uh, they take in um, uh, I can't remember her name, Susie, the little girl, the Lily, Lily, the little girl. She's eighteen years old. Uh, they take her in, and we later see at one point like it's uh, it's becoming morning. Uh, you see the sun rising, and she's just been sitting in the cave. So it's like that's what they've given her. She doesn't have a blanket or anything. It's it is crazy, and they they've they they take her, and they're like, we're taking you, and it takes a while to get there. They originally take her and say. And they yes. bring her back to the cave, and they point at a baby, and they say, if this baby dies, you die. And I'm like, what's this 18-year-old going to do for this baby? Well, well, that's what's confusing, because I thought there was going to be a—and this was—again, this show sort of leads you to start thinking of things 
because they don't explain it. So you, you try to create the narrative yourself. What I thought it was, was it was a bunch of men who didn't understand uh, how to raise bo- a child. How, how to raise a child. Not because of gender roles, but because of biologically, they just didn't understand. And maybe uh, they thought this baby should be breastfed or something to that effect. And they go, we found a woman. This woman might know. But that's not what this is. What it, What we're going to find is they want the baby to be healed. They know they don't have the facilities or the resources to take care of it. So they're going to use her as a bargaining chip. Yeah, they're gonna. We'll trade you this lily for making the baby healthy at your hospital. Mm-hmm. And should we say now why the baby's so important? Yeah, it's because uh, you had mentioned it earlier. The idea that like the colonists are not having a lot of luck conceiving children. Right. They're they're implying that I, I think that no babies have been born in quite some time. Now let me ask you, Luke, if you were on Earth in 2060 uh, or thereabouts. And you're creating some genetically modified people that I'm assuming are modified in a way to make them hardier, able to stand up for uh, harsher conditions because you want them to establish a colony so that you can send normal humans there. What would be the reason to make them sterile? Because that seems to be what is there because they go, they shouldn't have been able to have kids. I'm like, why? Why would that be a genetic modification? And again, that's what part of what I think maybe why I thought it was all men. Because I thought maybe biologically they couldn't have children, and that was why they had taken a child or something, and then they were like, oh, we don't know what to do. I I wasn't sure, and again, this show makes you want to fill in the blanks. Yeah, they leave a little too much open where you're just like, I can't quite suss out what has happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, uh, the two cops, Cass and Floor, team up with Jack the Expe- Expeditionary to go off to find that like, one missing escape pod. Um, and they end up, you know, they find it. She's not there. Then they find the ACs in the desert. And the ACs are like, hey, here's our ultimatum. You know, you take this kid. We want the kid healed and you'll get Lily back. And see if you can explain this to me because I was baffled. But basically they're like, they know that Lily is their boss's daughter. So they're like, listen, let's negotiate. What if we gave you three hostages in exchange for the baby? And then we could like bring Lily back. That seemed to be the negotiation they were having. I think it was more you hold them until the baby is is better as uh, as like uh, um, like if you went to like a pawn shop and you left something and go, I'll come back in three weeks or something. So but the, the cops actively say, we'll leave you more hostages. And then I thought that meant they were exchanging it for Lily. But then when you cut back, they just now have two more hostages and Lily. Yeah, that is true. I guess I didn't think about that. Like, I couldn't follow the train of logic of this one exchange, but for whatever reason, basically Cass, Jack, and Lily stay to be hostages while the baby goes back with Florida to be healed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> such a weird such a weird show that I, I'm trying to, like, suss out what's happening so much, so often. <laughs> anyway, did you notice that baby's a real baby, right? Why did it look like it had the oldest, like, it looked like it had that face, that old man mask on from uh, <laughs> the Wasp Woman? No, it just, it just was a baby with an old man face. It just had such an old man yeah. face. It really freaked me out. <laughs> they Anyway, they treat the baby. Somewhere along the way, there's like a big scene where like the president shows up and takes some cell samples from the baby. So he can like, he's like, we need these so we can figure out how they're having kids. And like, uh, but like Stella and like one of the other characters are so mad at him for taking samples from the baby. And I was just like, did you guys not take any medical samples from a sick child who showed up here that you to heal? I don't yeah, understand it's, what's happening. It's funny because I think the scene is supposed to add to your unsure feelings as a viewer of president tate that he maybe will do whatever he needs to 
mm-hmm. uh, reach the the goal or the end game that he wants. But the, in this one case, it seemed very reasonable. You have a sick child. You need to do tests on the child. To take a sample seems very, very reasonable. So I know they want to it's, have this scene where you're like, is he evil? It's ambiguous. I'm like, I don't think he's evil. It's similar to that him giving the big standing ovation speech. It's just like, oh, we need a scene where you think he's maybe morally gray. And it's just like, so we'll have him take samples from a sick baby while you're healing him. I'm just like, yeah, but you guys would have already done this. Yeah. Like, it doesn't like you just wanted this scene, but you didn't know how to put it in anywhere. Yeah. And then we get we also, you know, we'll find out, uh, as we mentioned before, that you know, Tate did order the murder of these people. And you have like one scene where Fleur and uh, Tate are sort of, she's like, how could you do that? And he's like, hmm, my bad. Yeah, I'm sorry about that, I guess. Yeah, and she's like, okay, accepted. I also like, because this is around the time where they're like, oh, FYI, the, the, those ACs weren't what was responsible for the uh, angel dust disease. And then someone says it's like, yeah, that, that angel dust disease, eh? it sure felt targeted and more like an attack, eh? And I'm just like, Excuse me? <laughs> yeah. Are you saying aliens are making you sick with this, like, C-23? Like, oh. what does that mean? Oh, let me ask you this. There's a line, and you probably caught it because you were watching with uh, uh, subtitles. Does Fleur say at one point she sees an alien? She thinks she might have seen an alien? No, I think what I think, I think what they're talking about is when they were attacked in that tent. They They talk about them in such an alien way, like they can't figure out where these people came from. Where I'm just like, uh, like I, it's just so weird. Like, there's always these implications that maybe they're talking about aliens, but I, I can't tell. Well, I because she says at one point aliens. she makes a point that she was so surprised because they seem to be standing on their legs, and I was like, but I thought it was those ACs that attacked. Yeah, you. of course st- they're standing on their legs. Talking about the exiles, so I just don't understand either. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, all right. You know what? It will. This will all make sense by the time we get to the end of the series. I mean, there is the question of like maybe there are animals on this planet. I think at some point they do mention is just like. There are birds. So I assume we'll hear that hawk from Earth 2 at some point. But I was just like, what do you oh, mean yeah. there are birds on this random alien planet? What does that mean? Like, how are there birds? Yeah, it's true. Uh, as of two episodes, you you don't see any animals other than that uh, cloned pig from the first episode. We haven't seen any uh, yeah. ind- indigenous animals anyway. A lot of, a lot of questions. Anyway, uh, they, they the baby's fixed. All good now. I had pneumonia. I had pneumonia. They take it back to uh, do the hostage exchange and... Um, what we see is they, like, Floor meets basically Rudy with the hostages in a big open field. Rudy's men are armed for this big exchange. And as they're about to do the exchange with the baby, Jack the Expeditionary is just like, it's a double cross. We can't trust them. It's a double cross. So him and Cass manage to break free of their bonds. The the ACs, are their guns unloaded or they just don't know how to use their guns? It's a weird scene because, yeah, they sort of, uh, you know, we don't need to go over it, but there's sort of scenes you get a, a few that show that there's tension between these two people and they're they're not getting along, the the captors and the uh, the captives. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yes, there's a scene where they um, we find out that Jack has a hidden knife, so they, they get into a, a fight and uh, Cass ends up stabbing a guy, and the metaphor of the blood on his hands is way too obvious, but regardless... Um, there's a scene where one of the ACs has a gun and he doesn't fire it for some reason. He seems very nervous. And I didn't catch what they said, but it seemed as if he didn't know how to shoot or maybe they couldn't be violent, but that can't be the case because we saw one of them hit a guy earlier. But there's this weird ambiguity about why he doesn't fire his gun and he just runs off. But it might have just been that it was convenient. I mean, I hope it's not just that lazy. I mean, this is the question. Is basically Jack announces this hostage 
exchange is a double cross based on nothing as far as i can tell no yeah no information well, i think what we're supposed to believe is that because jack sees the world through his lens of an expeditionary um he's always sort of ready for battle and when the uh rudy puts his hand up as sort of like a hello or some sort of greeting they see that as a sign that he's telling his men to attack and so then thus they attack but what's weird about it is you get this thing, they kills, kill one of the... Uh, yeah, they kill, like the thing, Cass stabs a man to death. Yeah. And a man with a gun is standing there and he just runs away. And what's away. weird about it is, yeah, it doesn't make a bigger fight and it seems like there's no real consequence. I'm sure it will be later on the series, but they're just like, oh, well, I guess the deal's good though. We'll keep the baby? Well, that's it. They murder the ACs and then they steal the baby. They're the bad guys. Yeah, they're clearly the bad guys. And, it's, and it, it is presented in a way of like, well, that's all resolved now. And I was like, there's they must know there's going to be repercussions for this. I can only assume the series will show there's repercussions for their actions. I mean, it has to be, but it's just very funny. It's like, here's a group of people who are taken out to be executed for something they didn't do, managed to survive, asked for their asked for help for their baby, and then you murder them and steal their baby. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't look good. I was like, you I think you are the bad guys on this show. Mhm. But and that but that's it pretty much it for the A plot. Yeah, well, other than uh, Lily finally makes it back to Fort Haven, sees her mom and says, I hate you, and then walks away. Yeah, I did like that, though. Because, I mean, that's what it, that, that seemed a uh, true reaction to being stuck on a sh- uh, you know by yourself for 15 years and on a ship for five. And then your mom is like, hey, remember how you used to like play with Barbie? And it's like, no. <laughs> that's true. It was a reasonable reaction. I don't yeah. disagree. Uh, but you're right. Let's get on to the B plot, which is... Julius Berger, who worked for the Earth Evacuation Park program, he's in town now, and there's a lot of tension between him and the president, and I guess Stella and as well. And Stella. And here's a th- this did feel, and maybe, uh, you know, giving it the benefit of the doubt, that they're going to develop his ambiguity, but it did feel like a character that would have been written uh, better on Deep Space Nine. You know, absolutely. Uh, like, like I think what they're going for is, and forgive me for my uh, constant Star Trek references, but almost a Galdicott sort of figure of someone you know is bad, but also might sometimes play it in the gray area, and you also kind of like him, and you may not know what his motivations are, and he's very clever. Uh, that's what I I got the sense they were trying to do, and there's this weird ambiguous religion that he is. A proponent of and a leader of but i don't know if the the show nails it either because maybe the guy's performance or because there's just not enough to bite on yet yeah i think it's a world building issue i'm gonna i think for this character and in general on this show because what we'll see is basically he arrives and the first thing that happens when he arrives is a girl who was on the transport and also survived an escape pod goes to the police and accuses him of stealing her mother's seat on the escape pod. Yeah, because again, for some reason, there was only so many seats. There's only so many seats, so it couldn't do it. And then so Stella, the police chief, goes to Julius and says, hey, this woman's accused you of stealing her mother's seat. And he's just like, no, 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 no. She gave me that seat because I'm so cool. Yeah, but no, basically uh, what they he say is he, for whatever he was before, he now is some sort of, uh, forgive the term, but like religious zealot of some sort. Um, or at least has had a change of heart. And so now... He, fa- he found God, or as it's on the show, the universal spirit on the transport over. Yes, and so people that are his followers sort of look up to him, and his argument is that one of them just gave him 
their seat because he's more important than they are because of his uh, preaching or whatever it is. Yeah, he's so cool. <laughs> oh, he's cool. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, and then Estella's like, well, if that's true, do you mind doing a deep brain scan? And she's, he's like, mm, pass. No, thanks. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, you know, I can make you. And he's like, I don't think you can. And she's like, touche. <laughs> Anyway, the girl's obviously quite upset that this uh, man she views as killing her mother has just wandered around town having a great time. So he, she goes to hang out with that drug dealer from the first episode who I realize is going to be a regular character. His name's Tipper Malone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He's the Irish guy. He's the Irish guy. I guess he's like – they imply he's like some sort of child prodigy who's like he, – he's a real Wesley Crusher on this, in yeah, this world. Yeah, they don't give a lot of screen time, but what we're supposed to believe is that he's um, – yeah, he's, he's highly intelligent and he's sort of – I guess a free thinker of sorts. Like he's really into like, let me show you this plant we have, how you can make this into a drug that you can get high over for some reason. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And at any rate, this whole scene's just there because she basically will steal a knife from Tipper and then goes to like stab Julius as he's preaching in the town square. But, uh, you know, Tipper stops her from it happening. And as they're yelling at each other over the attempted murder, like she, she says something that causes Tipper to get a sense that the, uh, the tension between this, 17 18 year old girl and this 40 year old man or maybe a little deeper than he realized i think we're supposed to believe she's a little bit younger than that yeah i think she's like they're toying with like 16 mm-hmm. to 18 is mm-hmm. her age range. i think what they want is you to know it's inappropriate but it's not so inappropriate that you can't stand the look of that character <laughs> you know what i mean it's like well, it's right it's on that li- i mean it's already on that line at very best yeah i mean later on in the show they will like act they will like actually say like they'll have a conversation julius and this girl and he will admit to groping and grooming her yeah uh, yeah so over the summer of that so like he certainly was it's it's a bad look and i think it's a really like i think they think like it's not that bad she's only like 17 and he's 40 like that's not terrible but it's like I, honestly it's pretty bad yeah well i agree with you i think the intention is one thing but i think as a viewer at least you and i watching it it's it's hard to get past it's hard to also appreciate maybe other qualities that he has well and this is sort of the other problem i think the world building problem i have too is perpetually much like with mitchell from the last episode perpetually other characters will stand around talking about how important and how influential julius is he's so important mm-hmm. people would riot if we charged him with being a sexual predator we couldn't possibly do any justice on our show like but you don't see that you don't see him have any influence or have and like no one seems to actually like light like he holds one prayer session to yeah. like seven people you're right again and this is something we've probably seen better on on other science fiction shows but there's a weird i don't know if it's a time issue but for example julius arrives on the planet and it there, there's no scenes of him struggling to adapt or like we never see anything of anyone actually learning how to live on this planet which they've never been on before everyone just like like we see him arrive and then he's just like cool everything's normal and it just seemed weird to me there was no nothing in between there was no growing pains of you know maybe conflict with tate right away because we see him pushing too hard like they have one conversation and then it's like he knows his way around everything's fine but you're right we don't see any anything that builds that well, and, like, the ship exploded. We've seen the escape pod. So, you know, there weren't a lot of room on there. Like, arguably, what, 60 people survived? Yeah. And he is presented by Stella and the president as the third most influential person on this planet after us. And I'm just like, that's impossible. Yeah, unless for some reason he has gained a following on the ship that has 
spread out to the planet in some way but that's not we have he's, no indication he's been there for four hours yeah it's it's impossible at anyway and the episode kind of comes to a conclusion is they they figure out the reason this girl's mad at him is he molested and groomed her as a child yeah and no justice is obviously done because he's so powerful you couldn't possibly do anything and then julius like confronts the girl at the bar at the end of the show and they both shake hands and agree never to see each other again and i don't think we'll ever see that the girl's character ever again do you think so no, I don't think we'll ever see her again. Maybe. I don't know. I thought she was going to be a bit of a bit character, but you could be right. But yes, it's weird because Julius is clearly going to be set up as, if not the main villain, um, an adversary that is going to throw a wrench in the plans of Tate and company. But what is weird about this show is that it wants to play in the gray area so much. And I think it is a flaw of modern television in that there's such a desire for this ambiguity and desire for nuance that you as a viewer don't even know what you're supposed to feel because like i feel like tate might be someone i can't support julius is someone i can't support i don't think i can support those acs so it's like who am i who am i rooting for who am i watching i'm not quite sure at this point yeah it's so anemic like what the information you have and the acting and like the whole thing is so anemic that it's just like, do I like anyone on this but, show? But, but I'm going to make the argument. I think it's all intentional. Now, I, I would I can be proven wrong as we watch the series further. I don't think it's a, a like they didn't have a playbook. I don't think they haven't no, thought think, about these I, things. I, do agree with that. I think it's all intentional. I just think the execution is making it difficult to know where you stand as a viewer. So as a result, you kind of just gloss over things because you're like, yeah, ah, it's a bunch of characters talking. They're just kind of sloppy at it. Yeah, maybe that's a good way of saying it. Because it's just like, I get it. You want Julius to potentially be this, like, really problematic third-party leader with a lot of power due to his, like, religious leanings. But then you're like, oh, and to introduce that, we're going to show how he molested a child. Don't you kind of like him still, though? I'm like, no, see, that's too far. You can't have that and, like, also bring him back. Also, I'm going to make... It is also a, a bit of a trope that we've seen in so many other science fictions of, like... There's a leader of a religious faction, but because of power, they're not really a believer of this faith. They're also conniving. And it's just like, it just seems like I've seen this before. Like, why not have someone who is religious who isn't nefarious? You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. Well, that's just it. It's like, you know, from the moment you meet him, it's all a put on. He doesn't believe in any of the religious stuff. So you're like, why? Like, why? Why bother? Yeah. Yeah. So, and you know what would have been more interesting is I'm saying this now after two episodes is he comes, he is, let's say there's a past history with these other characters. Maybe he's um, someone who's in prison for a long time and has somehow made it to the planet. So they know he's maybe dangerous or has a uh, violent background. But then when he arrives, he starts creating this religion and they're like, maybe he's changed or maybe he's being right right uh, you know they, they could have played with it a little more if they just give it gave it some more time which is a weird argument and comment to make on a show that seems desperate for you to give them time yeah i mean and that kind of wraps up the episode but i'm gonna pause us for one scene that i i almost forgot about until i was pulling clips and i was like oh we have to talk about this scene there is a scene midway through the show where a ghost moves a piece of paper on the president's desk yes so I think this is, again, a real serialized moment that we're going to explain later. And it's either a ghost or an alien, I'll use the term alien, force or some energy or something that 
Tate is sitting at his desk, and I'm, I th- assume it's a drawing his kids Children's did. Drawing. And yeah. we just see him sitting there, and it starts moving independently of itself. And he's like, what? And then they don't explain anything. To cut away. Which I was just like, another Earth 2 thing. There are now ghosts on the show. <laughs> what I really hope is they never, ever come back to it. So fun. I was just, like, I forgot about it because, like, so little happens on this show that it's easy just to, like, forget what's happening. But I was cu- pulling clips and I'm just like, wait, I forgot there were ghosts on this show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was weird. Well, we'll see in future episodes if that's a thing. Well, Jordan, do you want to kind of get into rating these? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to give this show a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. I think we, you and I feel very similar. I think I'm probably a little bit more positive on it than you are. I'm, I'm maybe a little more willing to let this somewhat painful subtlety uh, take me into where they want to take me. I'm like, all right, I'll I'll go on this slow journey. So I'll just tell you right off the bat, I feel the same about both these episodes, even though they just, because it felt like it's just one long episode. So I'll just tell you right off the bat, I'm going to give them both six out of 10. Six out of 10 for them both. Eh? Yeah. All right, fair enough. I mean, I think you hit it at the nail on the head. The thing that I maybe have the biggest problem with, like, it's house like these shows are a full hour. Oh, they, like, this isn't forty five. You're minutes. right. I think they're like 57, 58 minutes, and they are some of the slowest television we've ever watched. Mm-hmm. Like nothing happens in these episodes. I would agree with you. And, and, and let me just say real quick, I looked at it really briefly at when this show came out, some of the reviews, and that was at least a comment I saw several times from some critics: is that it's a slow show. Languid, it just dragged. And what's so funny is to me is that that pilot on paper is just a classic procedural episode. Someone is murdered and you have to catch the killer. Mm-hmm. And if that show was like 44 minutes long, you could have just like ramped the tension up. It could have been like a nonstop chase the killer thing. You could have dropped all the subtle little hints in and we wouldn't have – you could have had a much quicker, tighter show that was like more – procedural just a detective show trying to find the try to find this this mitchell character and you probably would have got away with more of the subtle hints because there wouldn't have been time to just sit there and have a character be like well things are bad on earth eh and then like 30 seconds go by and you're like uh and nothing cutscene. but again i think that's uh, i don't think you're wrong about that this could be a a faster uh more action-packed show i don't think that's the show that they want this to be well they're wrong <laughs> So what what are you giving this episode? Uh, I mean, the whole thing feels like it takes place in a vacuum. Like it's like eight actors in a stage play who are pretending like there's a lot of people there. So slow, no momentum, no excitement, no emotion. The pilot's bad. It's a bad pilot. Like I can see why people didn't want to watch this. It's I'm gonna go nicer than I maybe should, but I'm gonna give the pilot a four. Really? I see. I didn't think it was that bad. I I, I don't disagree with all your points. I just think that they didn't. Uh, the negatives of those didn't hit me as hard as it hit you, I think. Yeah, and I mean, same with the second episode. It's it's at least they were through the beginning bit, and like we kind of kind of established the characters. But if I'm not wrong, if I'm correct about the concept that that uh, teenager who Julius was involved with is not back in the next episode, then that means the pilot was all about. Mitchell, his wife, and his kid, who are now off the show, and then an entire another episode about a girl who is also off the show, when I have eight characters I barely know anything about and you won't spend any time with. Like, if this show's just going to be, like, bring on a new guest spot every day and I don't get to learn anything about these anemic characters who I can't tell the relationships as it is, 
it's a it's a problem for this show. Uh, I again, I, I I'm gonna give it a four. No, you're you're. I think you you have a good point. I think the show, and I hope it does. Uh, it really needs the characters that they've chosen to focus on. They need them to drive the action because so far they're not. They're just reacting to as you said sort of guest stars and like things are put in motion and they're like i guess we'll react to it now but we haven't learned much about these characters i mean we've learned a little bit about tate and maybe he's ambiguously good bad we don't know but uh, it's, it's in reaction it's, to everything it's been two hours almost an actual full two hours and we need them to kind of push this a little bit i'm i'm i'll be honest i don't think we're gonna get too much more momentum in the next two episodes yeah probably not it, it it is just crazy to me too because like barring the first episode which it is a little crazy that they we invested all our emotional energy into like mitchell and his family and like really none into the other characters like uh, well let's give that a pass just as a surprise where they were gonna well that's right that's what they were the doing character. they wanted to give you that surprise so they don't they aren't worrying about that you spent all this time developing him it's like that's the surprise he's dead now and it's like but you're right as a viewer you're like yeah but we just have all these other characters we didn't learn about but the second episode is about Julius having a re- inappropriate relationship with a teenager on an episode where another character's teenage daughter also arrives on the planet on the same transport ship who is uninvolved. Like, it's just like, if you wanted that to, like, I'm not saying that was a good idea to begin with. Like, it's kind of a, it's a gross idea that I don't think they landed. But why not just build that into the tension between Stella and Lily and Julius? Like, You're right. They could have done that. Them? It could have been Lily that had been. Uh, uh, I, I, I know. I, I feel weird even talking about because it, it is a gross storyline of like, but it could have been Lily that was molested by him. But it is true. Like we watched a show where they introduced two new teenage char- teenage girl characters who look almost identical already. <laughs> yeah. Well, to be fair, one's a brunette, one's a blonde. Yeah, that's the big difference between the two of them. I think there's but a bigger difference between I mean, them than there is between <laughs> Julius and Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I won't harp on it anymore, but I like, I was watching this and I was just like, so many, so many missteps it felt like. Because you're right, some of the teases, like, I'm just like, I'm okay with it. Like, I'm curious as to the world building backstory. And I'm like, I think they went too subtle. I agree that's on purpose, but I'm just like, perhaps there is something interesting here. I'm like, maybe you guys need to lean into it. It, it just reminded me, I'm just like, this reminds me of Earth 2 so much, but at least on Earth 2. They didn't, like, tease you with it. They're just mm. like, there's a Grendler over there. There's this little thing crawling around. It's like, it's just like, it's morose at times, but at least it was just, like, weird and fun. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, time will tell, and we'll keep watching. Uh, I think our average right now is a five, so that doesn't bode well for us finishing the series off the bat. But uh, let's see it's, where it's we go. episodes. We're going to finish it for sure. <laughs> I mean, that's a nice part. It'll be over before it begins. It'll be over. Yeah, there's only be four podcasts on it. So, I mean, on that note, we're, we're wrapping this up, but we're on to episode uh, three and four, which we should say, none of the episodes are, are titled. They're all just numbers. I know. They're all just numbers. It's such a serialized... It's very serialized mm-hmm. in that way, I think. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, at some point, they'll have to step on the gas a little and explain some of the stuff that's going on. So, yeah. at some point, I'll get some sort of redemption, I y- hope. Here's but. hoping they're not, like, leaving it for season two. It's not like a... Um, uh, what was that show we watched, The Marvel Superheroes? Oh yeah, uh, Inhumans. Inhumans, where it's like you realize the whole first season was just a pilot for for the what the second season that never came. I hope it's not one of those. Yeah, hopefully not. Yeah, well, thanks for joining us, listener. You can find out uh, all the clips from this show on our Instagram and Twitter at Team Drag. There's going to be spaceships crashing. Ghost There's paper. There's going to be ghosts, ghosts pushing <laughs> stuff around. And you unfortunately don't get to see any of the angel dust halos. 
You just get to hear about them. They better show me some of this stuff. It's so much telling me things that mm. I'm just like, show me those things. I don't want to hear about yeah, them. Yeah, I, I don't think this show plays well uh, in 15-second uh, uh, clips on Instagram. Yeah, I mean, there's some good special effects that'll be there. That's like, it, it's it is a show that's not like there's not a lot of cool shots but when there are like you know there's a whiteout like the mm-hmm. a big dust storm blows through there's a few like cool effects so yeah there's a lady dying in a coma yeah that, uh, great great <laughs> everyone loves that <laughs> we've seen so many comas oh my god you can email us at teamdragon@gmail.com if you have any thoughts on whatever yeah any the of these show, big outcast fans let us know what you're thinking outcasters where are you <laughs> there's like one guy sheepishly putting up his hand he's embarrassed um, but that wraps it up for this episode. So, listener, we'll see you next week. And also, Jordan, I will see you next week. Yeah, I'll see That's you then. This goes. Yeah, of course, I can. Bye. I'll see you then. Bye. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seedler. Produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Hughes.